0: we go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. How are y'all doing? Good. It is so good to see you this morning. Good to be here with you. Uh, I don't know if you've called on or paid attention yet, but I'm clearly not our pastor. I'm not Pastor Andy John, uh, but my name is Josh Shirley, and I have the privilege and honor of working here with our student ministries, mostly grades 7 through 12. And so my family and I have been here uh, at Lindsay Lane for a little bit over a year. We came in September of 2019. I'm originally from Muscle Shoals, if some of you don't know that, so don't hold that against me. But I'm originally from Muscle Shoals, my family, everybody's still there. Uh, but I'm happy to be here with you this morning. I'm thankful that you are here. Like I know that you could be anywhere and doing anything else, but we're thankful to have you here with us, whether that's you being here uh, in person with us or whether that's you on live stream. We're so thankful. Uh, for you to worship with us here this morning. As I said, we are so glad that you're here with us. Uh, when Andy John told me a few weeks ago, or actually probably a few months ago, kind of back in the summer, he's like, now you know, like if I go down, like you're my backup. And I thought, oh, that all right, we're good. Like, you know, we'll be over all this. Everything will be fine. I'm not going to be called on as the backup. And then a few weeks ago in staff briefing, he reminded me, he said, hey, you're my backup, and you probably need to make sure you have a backup too. And it was like, I heard him say that, and then I heard like the Lord like, hey, you know what you've been thinking through and praying about preaching, you should probably start to write that down, because it's going to happen. And I thought, nah, we'll still be all right. Uh, And then I got a call from Andy John this past week, and he's like, hey, and when I saw his name on my phone, I knew, I was like, well, this is it, you know, like, I, I need to be prepared. And for me, like, it's hard for me to prepare like a, a topical message or a subjective message or just doing one because, like, I typically like to uh, preach through books of the Bible. Like when I first came with our students, uh, we did the Book of Philippians. It took us, it seems like, forever to get through the Book of Philippians. But like that's how I was taught to to preach and to teach through the Bible and through books of the Bible. That's how I've always done it. And so for me preparing a one-off message, if you will, is hard. And so like I began to pray and ask the Lord to put something on my heart. I had a passage in mind from the book of Daniel in Daniel chapter 6, but don't turn there because it's not where we're going. Uh, the Lord just really began to kind of work on my heart. And for this morning, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, uh, you can turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, and we'll look at chapter five, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 17 through 21. And we're really going to focus in on verse 20. And so, as I said, I normally preach through books of the Bible, so don't worry, we're not gonna like cover the whole book of Second Corinthians or the whole letter of 2 Corinthians. We're just gonna look at this message this morning because it really is something that I believe the Lord has put on my heart. But before we read that passage of scripture this morning, uh, I don't know about you or what's been going on in your life. Like I said, I hope everybody I know Bradley wished you a Merry Christmas and a happy new year. I hope we all had a great Christmas holiday. I know for a lot of us, like, it's been different, uh, it's been a different year. I hate saying that. Like, I feel like every time somebody talks about this year, they feel obligated to say it's a different year, and everybody's like, yeah, because we can all relate. It's different. I'm tired of saying that. Maybe it's been a difficult year for you, or maybe you've just had a difficult experience this year. I know for a lot of families, like, maybe this is the first Christmas that you're having, like, without a loved one, or maybe because of sickness or concern of sickness, Like you flip-flop plans or you change plans or you're doing things differently. I saw some of our friends that were, their kids used to be in our ministry in Memphis. I saw their family tried to do uh, Christmas dinner outside and that was quite entertaining. Like they had put up all this plastic sheeting to keep the wind off the porch and they were like, it's too cold, we can't do it. So we've all tried to do things uh, different maybe because of the sickness and like I said, Christmas is hard sometimes. Like it's hard, it's a joyous occasion, but sometimes it's hard because of separation or a death in the family. Uh, for our family, this Christmas, like, we actually had to uh, completely flip everything around that we do. Uh, since moving back to Alabama, it's kind of convenient. Both of our families are in the state of Alabama. Mine are in Muscle Shoals. My wife is from a little town called Jackson, Alabama. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's straight down 43, about an hour north of Mobile, a little tiny town in Jackson. And so normally what we do with my family, uh, we do all of my family. I still, I'm still blessed to have both sets of my grandparents So we do everybody on Christmas Eve. Now, we used to, like I had a set of extra grandparents, if you will, that were my babysitter and stuff growing up. So we would do them for breakfast, go to one grandmother's for lunch, and then go to the other grandmother's for dinner. And it was exhausting, but it was fun, and that's why we did it. Uh, But this year, because my mom had gotten sick shortly after Thanksgiving, uh, had the virus and all those things that go on with it and still wasn't feeling great. We wanted to give her some time to rest and recuperate, so we flip-flopped all of our plans, which is not like me. I am a person of habit and traditions, and I like things being the way that they've always been, but when you get married, all those things change, and then when you have kids, all those things change, and so we went to visit Amanda's family. We left um, last Sunday morning after church. We ate a real quick lunch, shoved everybody in the van, and we took off, even took the dog with us. Uh, but we took off to Jackson, and we got there Sunday night. And we it also helped us because Amanda's grandmother, uh, her granny, had not been doing real well. And so we wanted to get down there and let Amanda go see her granny. Uh, but unfortunately, we got there late Sunday night and didn't get to go see her, and her granny passed away Monday morning. Uh, and so then we began to have to shift plans again and prepare instead of celebrating Christmas to We're having a funeral on Wednesday. I was asked to speak and given the privilege to speak at the funeral Wednesday morning. You know, and I look at all that as, well, this is different. This is not fun. Nobody wants to do this at Christmas. But, you know, I also look at it as, like, the Lord allowed us to do those things. He allowed us to not be with my family and have to leave my family early and to get to Amanda's parents and to be there with her family. Uh, Her grandmother was suffering and hurting, and her dad had actually even texted Amanda's mom saying that he just didn't want Amanda to see her granny in that condition and hurting like that. And so the Lord healed her and took her home Monday morning. So I know sometimes Christmas can be hard. The holidays can be hard. But on a cheery note, just no, that's the sad part. We're over with that. But on a cheery note, like for me, I don't know about y'all, but for me, I love Christmas, like it's my favorite time of year, like I love to decorate, I think our trees were up like the week after Halloween, I started getting out Christmas decorations for our yard and putting those out, then I thought, well, I don't have enough, so let me climb back up in the attic, see what we packed and what we didn't pack, and kept adding to it, my neighbor across the street was like, so are you just trying to make us look bad, or what are you doing? I was like, no, I just, I love Christmas, And I love to leave the lights up. Now, you may not be one of those those people. Like, you may already have your tree down and all your decorations packed away. Don't worry. I won't judge you. Just don't tell me. Uh, But ours are still up. And I can remember when we lived in Tennessee, we lived in a town called Germantown outside of Memphis. And I think this is where I get it from because in Germantown, we could only put our... Decorations out so long before Christmas, and then you had to have them down by a certain time, or code enforcement would come and they'd find you or make you take them down. So, I think I'm trying to make up for lost time. So, if you drive by our house and say it's January 31st and you still see Christmas lights, don't think anything of it. Just know that's where we live, and I love Christmas. I love it. It's my favorite time of the year. I don't necessarily like all the cold weather, I do like snow, but not for extended periods of time. Uh, I love the food, I love getting to see family, and I love the memories. But I know that Christmas is hard, and then you go into this year, and this has just been an interesting year. As I said earlier, it's been a difficult year. It's not been all that much fun. Uh, And you may be listening this morning and thinking, like, I can't sympathize with you. I cannot wait to move past these holidays. Matter of fact, I can't wait to end this year. I don't know if you've seen the memes of people saying, Listen, let's not slam the door shut on 2020. Let's just all approach 2021 real quiet and nice-like. Everybody creep in and don't say a word, and we'll just see what happens. I don't know how you feel or what's going on in your minds or your hearts. Maybe you're ready to just move on. You're tired of dealing with family issues or health issues or work issues or school. Whatever it may be, you're just ready to move on. Well, this morning, uh, as hard as it may be, I would like for each of us to set our minds, not only for the rest of the year or the end of the holiday season, or maybe even for next year, you know, I don't know if you set New Year's resolutions, but hopefully this goes beyond that. Like hopefully this morning, as we talk through this passage of scripture, hopefully it will set the trajectory, not just for the last few days of 2020 or the year of 2021 or whatever the Lord allows, but hopefully it will set the trajectory for us for the rest of our lives. As long as the Lord gives us life and breath, I hope that this will set that trajectory. Now, I do know, and I want you to understand, like, I'm not saying that because I've got some great words and some great wisdom and all that stuff to share with you. It's not the power of my words or my wisdom. It's the Word of God and what it says to us and its encouragement to us in our lives. And I think that is what will help us set our trajectory. And so by the end of this morning, what I want us to do is kind of think through two questions that I hope that we can answer. The first question that I want us to think about and think through and answer for ourselves is who am i like ask yourself who am i and then the second question has something to do with that once you figure out who you are i want you to ask yourself what am i doing like answer answer those two questions i hope we can do that by the end of this uh, message this morning and the lord will bless our time together again if you got your bibles i know it took us a long time to get there but second corinthians chapter five beginning in verse 17 was where we'll start this morning and finish up the chapter it says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again uh, for this morning. I thank you again for the honor and the privilege uh, to stand here and proclaim your word. Lord, I know On my own, I'm not worthy, I'm not capable, but God, I thank you for saving me, Lord, for filling me with your Holy Spirit and giving me this honor and privilege. Lord, I pray today as we we study your word, Lord, if there's some who are here and they don't know you as their Lord and Savior, maybe they're listening at home, or maybe they're listening some other day, Lord, and they don't know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction of sin, Lord, that you would show them their sins and how they separate them from you. Lord they would also see that you're a savior who's ready Lord to forgive uh, Lord to rescue them from their sins and to make them right with you and Lord for them to be reconciled with God and Lord I pray for those of us this morning who are believers that we would hear your word taught Lord we would be challenged by it we'd be changed because of it and Lord we would go forth from here whether it's today tomorrow the rest of the year our Lord, all the days of our lives that we would go forward and proclaim the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ that we would tell a lost and dying world that there is hope there 's joy there 's peace, and there 's love found in the person of Jesus Christ. I thank you again for this time that you 've given us this morning, and it 's in Jesus' name we pray amen. so this morning we kind of pick up in the middle of chapter five of the second letter to the church at Corinth from paul and he 's writing these things and If you don't go back and read it, which we're not going to do all that for time's sake, but if you go back and you were to read, you kind of get the context of why Paul is saying what he's saying and why he's saying it the way that he does. Because if you read it, it kind of is like, well, okay, like, I know verse 17, I learned that as a kid, or maybe I've heard that talk before, and it's talking about when we come to know the Lord. But how did Paul get to that point? How did he get to the point of saying, therefore, if we are in Christ, we're a new creation? Well, if you back up and you read a little bit, like Paul uh, is dealing with some things and he's having to kind of explain what's really going on in his life. Uh, You see, Paul had been accused of being mad or he'd been accused of being crazy or some people said, Paul, you have lost your mind. Like if you go back and you read in Acts chapter 26 and verse 24, Paul is standing before King Agrippa. He's already had to give testimony before a guy named Festus. Now he's before King Agrippa having to give a testimony of, like, why he's in jail, what has happened in his life. And you would think defending himself to get out of jail, but that's not really what Paul's doing. And he's testifying and telling about who God is and what God has done in his life and how God has changed him and who he used to be. And in the midst of all that, in Acts 26, 24, it says, Festus was saying in a loud voice. So this man interrupts Paul and says, Paul, you are out of your mind. Like, you are crazy your great learning has made you mad or is driving you mad. Now, students, don't let that be a motivation to say, see, like we shouldn't have to learn anything because it just makes us crazy. That's not the case, uh, and that's not what Paul was going for. But this is what Paul is having to defend is they think Paul has lost his mind. They think that he has gone crazy. Well, why Why do they think that? What was their reasoning for this accusation And what was Paul really doing? Like, was he acting like a crazy or a madman or somebody who is, you know, mentally unstable? Is he doing things like that? Well, if you remember who Paul was before Christ, like, he wasn't the guy that you and I know that writes most of the New Testament. He wasn't the guy traveling and proclaiming the good news of the gospel. He was actually the opposite of that. You see, before he came to know Christ, before he had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, Paul was traveling all over, and in uh, Acts we read before he encountered Christ, he was like fresh on the hot of trail, hot on the trail of believers with papers in hand, so that he could arrest them or put them in jail or even put some of them to death because he was part of the religious elite and he did not like the Christians and the believers pointing people to Jesus and not to Judaism. See, he missed who Jesus was and didn't know who he was. And so he's pursuing those who he thought were leading people away from Judaism. And so Paul is going about carrying out whatever acts of violence that it would take to take these people into custody and to shut them up and make them be quiet and not talk about who Jesus was. And so that's what they knew of Paul. But then you and I know, and we read in the book of Acts, that when Paul encountered Jesus face to face, every single thing in Paul's life changed. I mean, changed and changed drastically. Paul was not the same person that he was before. Paul was no longer the sinner in pursuit of his selfish desires. He was somebody who had been saved. He was somebody who had been forgiven of his sins. And his life was never going to be the same. And people had a hard time with that. You see, they thought Paul, this was some elaborate hoax of Paul. Even the church folks, like even the believers thought like, We should probably keep him at arm's length because we know what he's capable of, we know what he's done, and this is a real drastic change. But you think about that, for each and every one of us, like if we know Christ, the same has happened in our lives. Like when we come to know Christ, there's a drastic change from who we used to be to who Christ has saved us to be. Now I told you we moved here and started working here in September of 2019, and so I've only been here a short amount of time, but I could almost tell you word for word, and I won't do it because I might mess it up because I get nervous, but I could almost tell you word for word Pastor Dusty's testimony. And I could tell you that because I've heard it over and over preached from this pulpit. I've heard others share it as well. But it's such a great reminder of, and what he tells us is, this is who I was before Christ. Here's the exact date and the time and where I met Christ and where I had my encounter with him. And you and I have seen over the years... Not just him saying there's change, but we've seen the drastic change in him. From who he was to who he is now. Listen, the same should be true in our lives if we know Christ. It doesn't matter like what you did before Christ. You sinned. You were separated from God. But when you come to know Christ, everything in your life radically changes. And like Paul, we should be accused, in the good sense, of being crazy or being mad because there's so much difference from who we were before to who we are now in Christ. Like people should see that and recognize that and hear that and experience that. And so all of this precedes our passage this morning. And in verse 17, Paul is telling them, listen, I'm not crazy, I'm not mad, I've not lost my mind, I've not learned too much that I've just gone insane. He says, no, listen, it's just different. I am a new creation because I've encountered Jesus Christ. That guy that I persecuted, those people that I persecuted because they believed in him, I've now met him face to face, and I know that my life is different. I know that my life has changed. I know that he has saved me and made me a new creation. He says, listen, the old things, they've all passed away. He says, how we lived ourselves before, lived for ourselves before, our selfish, sinful ways, doing what we want without regard for God or anybody else, those old ways are dead. And when things are dead, they're dead. You you don't do anything with dead things. Uh, I gave this illustration when I was serving as student pastor in Memphis, and then later as I served in Texas. And I know there's a kid in Texas that could still to this day tell you this illustration because it stuck with him so much. So maybe it'll stick with you. Maybe you won't think I'm weird. But I used to have this cat growing up. When I was still in college and living at home, we had adopted this cat from some friends of ours and his name was Chi-Chi. His full name was Chi-Chi Rodriguez, but we called him Chi-Chi. So some of y'all may get that. I think Chi-Chi Rodriguez was a golfer, uh, so I don't know that much about it. But our cat's name was Chi-Chi. Now, Chi-Chi was a little bit older. He was a male cat, and he was what you would expect a cat to be. Like He was indifferent to everything, unless you were petting him. And then sometimes, even when he, you pet him, if he was tired of you petting him, he would just either slap you or bite you and then move on about his business. Or he would get mad if you were sitting in his seat and claw you and march on you and all those things. But I loved that cat because he was my pet. And really, that was, well, aside from a goldfish, that was the first cat or pet that I had. Well, like all pets, sadly, he came to his timely death and we found him in my neighbor's yard curled up and he had passed away. And so I don't, don't think my family's weird or anything like that. But in my family, like pets, for whatever reason, they're a big deal. And we do this whole funeral procession out to the back lot behind my parents' house. They do live in the city, but it's, uh, we have an extra lot. Anyway, whoever buys that extra lot later on in life, I hope they don't dig up one corner because that's where all the pets are. But anyway, like what you do with pets, we buried Chi-Chi. And I gave this illustration of, that was my cat. I loved him. I appreciated him. Like, he was a great cat but it would be really stupid, really foolish, and really weird, and y'all would think I was the creepiest guy ever if I loved that cat so much that I went back to where he's buried in my parents' yard, dug him up, and tried to play with Chi-Chi. Y'all would think we need to get him some help. He's not stable. We should be concerned for his kids. And that's weird because those things, he's dead. Like, he's decaying. He's rotting. That's a weird way to give this illustration, but I hope that you get it. But that is how our former lives before Christ are to be to us. They're dead. It would be weird for us to go back to who we were before Christ because that's not who we are now. Those things are of no value to us now. They don't bring us joy. They're never going to bring us hope. They're never going to be valuable to us because that's who we were before Christ and those things are dead. We're never to pick those things up again. But Paul says, listen, it's not that you're just dead to your old way of life. It's not that those things just go away and because you're a believer now, all the joy has been sucked out of your life. No, he says, listen, the old things have passed away and he says, new things, new things have come. Not just things to take their place, but he says, listen, these new things, they're from God. And if they're from God, We know because of what we read about who God is and we see his provision in the Old Testament that he is a good God who provides all things for his people and for those who love him and he meets their needs and he is good and gracious towards them. He's a good God who loves his people. So new things have come and they've come from God. Our lives and our hearts, they're no longer internally focused on ourselves. Like we're no longer looking inward, but you and I, if we know Christ is our Lord and Savior, we should be looking upward to him And because we look upward to him, it should force us to look outward to the world around us and see those who are in need of knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Paul says this back in chapter 5 and verse 9. He says, therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether we are at home or absent, that we are to be pleasing to God. That's our goal and our mission is because Christ has made us this new creation and given us these new things, as we'll see here in a minute. He's given us a job and a message to do that wherever we are, whether we're at home or we're absent, we are to be pleasing to God. We're to bring him glory and honor by pointing others to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Our lives should look and sound so radically different, like Paul, from before we knew Christ, that people question our sanity. Not because of anything else other than we are being like Christ. But then Paul continues on in verses 18 and 19, and he says this, he says, Now all these things are from God, all these new good things, they're from God. He has reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling us to Himself, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You see, listen, when we were lost, we were struggling. Like, we were lost and dying apart from God. We were guilty of sins. We were enemies of God. We were pursuing our own desires. We were dead in our trespasses. We were overwhelmed by the debt of our wrongs. We were unable to be made right with God. Listen, you and I before Christ, and if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know this is true. I don't have to tell you this, but before Christ, because of our sin and our sin debt, we were hopeless and helpless. But when we read this verse, we see how much God has loved us and that he has sent his son Jesus to die in our place, pay the price of our sins. But not just that. But he's also called us to be a part of this work, this reconciliation, this ministry of reconciliation. And not just that he's called us to be a part of the work, but he's given us the words to do it with. Like he's told us, this is what you're to go and to tell other people. Tell them what I've done for you. Tell them how I sent my son to die on the cross and pay the price for your sins so that you could be made right, so that you could be made reconciled with God. And I desired a relationship with you, and I desire a relationship with them. Listen, before Christ, in our sins, he knew we're a hot mess, and we ain't going to get it right on our own. But he sent his son to help us, and by his grace... He desires for each of us now not only to experience that good news, but to share it with others. And then I want to, we're going to skip over verse 20 and come back to it. But in verse 21, you really do get to see just how awesome all of this is and how we are made righteous. Verse 21, he says this. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so we could become the righteousness of God. Let that sink in. He made His Son, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we could experience and we could be a part of the righteousness of God so that we can be reconciled. So that brings us to our focus, and uh, I know it may have taken a while to get there, but really this is the part that the Lord really laid on my heart in verse 20. And look back with me at verse 20. We'll read the first part of it. He says, Therefore, or because of all these things, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, now don't worry, we're going to come back to the second part here in just a second. But if we know Christ, we're not only a new creation, but look at that. we are ambassadors for Christ. me talk about a high calling. I don't know if you mark your Bibles or whatever or underline but I would underline that. That is the part that really the Lord has burdened my heart and put on my heart. This was a message I thought I would be sharing with our students when we came back on January the 6th. It's was like, this is going to be our, our message for the year. This is going to be the verse that we lean on, and it's still that. But you think about it. We are ambassadors for Christ. If we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, we are to be ambassadors for Him. You know, I remember growing up, and probably some of you did like me. You grew up in church and we had a program way back in the day called Royal Ambassadors. Yeah, I remember it. Uh, I I don't know that I did it when we were at my my first church where I was part of First Baptist Church in Muscle Shoals. I don't remember doing it so much there, but I can remember very distinctly in third grade or fourth grade, we changed churches. Our pastor had moved on to Memphis uh, to be a pastor there in Memphis, Tennessee, and we moved across town to Highland Park Baptist Church, and I thought, like, life was over because that's across town. I don't know none of those people. They're different. They're weird. Uh, I don't go to school with them, all those things, but I remember going, and they were, like, pumping us up and telling us Wednesday nights, we have GAs, which is, I think, Girls in Action. Is that correct? All right, we have GAs, and then we have RAs, and I was like, okay, well, it's RAs. They're like, it's Royal Ambassadors, and so they start telling me all this stuff about it, and you know they're all pumped about it and excited about. it, I was like, well, that's not for me. Like I really, <laughs> I really don't like that. I don't want to be a part of that. And I'm sure it was a great program, but I didn't understand what it was about. I didn't understand like what they did or what they were supposed to do. And I didn't understand the word ambassador. Uh, and I've gotten a little older, and I do kind of understand what they did. But maybe you're like me, and that word ambassador is something different. Maybe I think they even maybe had blue vests or something. I don't know. I got them confused with the Boy Scouts, and I think that was probably the problem. Uh, But, I did look up ambassadors and began to think about, like, what is an ambassador? Well, you know, an ambassador is somebody who represents, like, our country. Like, for instance, the United States of America. I think we have, I think it was last I saw, over 180 different ambassadors in different countries all around the world. Uh, And so, what an ambassador does, I I got this from Warren Wearsby, and I thought it was really good, a really good description. He kind of gave three descriptions. He said, number one, ambassadors are chosen. Like an ambassador is chosen by their country to represent their country, but not themselves. See, if somebody is a United States ambassador, they go to a foreign country, they have a United States embassy in that country, and they act on behalf of the United States of America. Like they represent our values, they represent our morals, they represent like our belief system or our government, how things are run. And they tell other countries like, this is what you should be doing, or you're doing a great job in this, But the ambassador has chosen to represent their country, but not themselves. Like, they go into this foreign land. uh, They learn the people. Like, they learn the culture. They often learn the language. Sometimes they'll learn the customs. And they try to represent their country well. In the instance of the United States, they try to represent the United States well. Uh, I I closely follow Uganda, Africa, and keep up with things going on there. One, because I love it. I love the people there. And I've been there a couple of times on mission trips. But two... It's always interesting to see, like, what's going on. And I noticed that we just uh, appointed a new ambassador to, to Uganda. I've been by the embassy there. We had some friends that lived up the road. They were serving with the IMB and the U.S. embassies in Kampala, Uganda. Uh, it just happens to be on Gaba Road, which that doesn't mean anything to y'all, but on Gaba Road several years ago, uh, a little over 10, 15 years ago, I think, there was two bombings at restaurants that were really close to the embassy. And so... Our embassy was evacuated. Why is that? Well, because not only are ambassadors chosen, they're also protected. So there was a threat to their safety in our country, evacuated them and got them out. Our ambassadors are protected as a citizen of the nation that they represent. So, like, when they're in a foreign country, it's our job, if there are people, to protect them, to protect the others that work with them at the embassy, uh, and to take care of them. But not only are they protected... But we also supply their needs uh, and protect them and their families and their staff. But not only are ambassadors chosen or are they protected, but they're also accountable. You see, ambassadors not only like don't represent themselves, but they say and act as they are instructed to do. Like every ambassador knows, listen, there's a day coming when my appointment or my job ends. And then I go home, and I've got to give an account for everything that I've done, everything that I've said, and how I've represented my country while I've been on the field. You know, we could probably go on and on. I I probably read too much about ambassadors. (laughs) I read, like, what is their average salary? What degree do you need to be an ambassador? Because I got intrigued, and I thought, well, that's a cool job. Uh, And, you know, who knows? Maybe that's a sneaky way to get missionaries on the field. But I hope you see... Why God told Paul to choose this word ambassador in this passage of Scripture. As believers, you and I are ambassadors. Jesus himself says this in John chapter 20 and verse 21. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Listen, for you and I, all we are to do is to represent Jesus Christ. Like, that's our job. Where we live, where we work. Uh, how we spend our money, the words that we say, the cars we drive, the people we interact with, our families, our friends. Listen, it's all to point people to Christ because we are to be ambassadors for Christ. And just like we read that definition of ambassadors, listen, we know and we've seen and can testify time and time again, God supplies all of our needs. If he's saved us, he's chosen us for a purpose and a plan And whatever that is, he'll supply everything that we need to accomplish that plan and to do the work. He'll walk with us. And you read in Romans, Paul tells us, listen, there's nowhere that you can go that God will not be with you. There's nothing that can ever happen to you that will separate you from the love of God. So we can rest and find peace in that, knowing that we're protected uh, wherever God sends us. And when we die and we stand before the Lord, We're going to be accountable for every single thing that we've done and how we've conducted ourselves here on the field. And in case you wonder, or maybe you're somewhat confused this morning, okay, I know I'm supposed to be an ambassador for Christ. I know what an ambassador does. How does that apply to me? Like, what is my job and what should I do? Let's look back at the second half of that verse in verse 20. The beginning part of it says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, and as though God were making an appeal through us, here's our job. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Listen, that's our job, and that is it in a nutshell, is we are to beg and urge people, not on behalf of ourselves or our church or our pastors or our community, but we beg and urge people on behalf of Christ for them to be made right with God. Like, that's it. It seems simple, seems very straightforward, but somehow I think we miss the urgency in this command. Like you see, it's not like, hey, when it's convenient and you've got everything set up and the stars have aligned and whatever the Bethlehem star has come into play, that's the time for you to go and tell people. No, there's a sense of urgency that every day that God gives us life and breath and the opportunity to walk and to talk, And to be around others, that's the sense of urge that we have to have to share the good news of the gospel. Because we're ambassadors of Christ, and we need to urge people on behalf of him to be reconciled to God. See, we beg people to do a lot of things. Like, we beg people to volunteer to serve on stuff here at church. Or we beg people, listen, my kid's selling such and such for a fundraiser for school. We need you to support us. Or we beg people, listen, you know that Alabama is the superior football team, so you should come on over to the dark side. Like, we beg people for stupid things all the time. We beg people to be persuaded that our view of politics is the best way of politics or that our morals are the best morals. Or we beg people to understand, listen, I know your kids are good, but have you seen my angels or my grandkids? I don't think any parent would necessarily call their kids angels, but my grandkids are angels. They'd never do anything wrong. We'll talk about the weather. We'll talk about gossip, or if we're good church folks, we'll disguise that gossip by saying, bless their heart, and how can we pray for them? You see, we beg people all the time to be a part of conversations that mean absolutely nothing. But when we look at this passage from Paul, and we read the whole Word of God, we see that the whole Word of God, and Paul himself would beg the reader to be reconciled to God. Why is that? Why is that our message? If we're ambassadors for Christ and our message is to go and tell people to be reconciled to God, why is that so important? Why is it so important that people give their lives daily to carry out this message? Well, it's so important because according to God's Word, apart from God and His salvation offered in Jesus, there's a harsh truth. Apart from Christ and knowing Him as our Lord and Savior, we're sinners who are separated from God not just sinners who are separated from God as if that's bad enough, but we're sinners who are separated from God and we are destined to spend an eternity in hell. And that's why we beg people to be made right with God. That's why we plead with people to be made right with God. We beg because Christ is the only one who can forgive our sins. We beg because Christ is the only one who can give hope. We beg because Christ is the only one who can give peace. We beg because Christ is the only place and the source of true love. We beg because Christ is the only joy we can ever truly know and experience in our lives. Listen, we beg people to be reconciled to God because Christ is our only hope in this life and in the life to come. As I shared with you earlier, uh, this past week on Wednesday, Amanda's granny's funeral uh, we did it, I had the opportunity to speak at it, and her grandmother, or Granny, as we all called her, was Miss Mary Narvis Davis, uh, and while I didn't have an opportunity to really get to know Granny uh, the way that her family did, I knew a lot about Granny. Like, I didn't really have a chance to personally have, like, conversations with her and talk to her, uh, because when I met Granny, she was in the early stages of Alzheimer's. Like, when Amanda and I started dating in college, I can remember going to visit Granny, and Amanda was preparing me like, we're going to visit my papa and my granny. These are my dad's parents, Uh, but I need to tell you a little bit about granny. Now, I was already nervous because this was like my first visit to her hometown. You know, I had met her parents before, uh, but I had not met her grandparents and not met the rest of her family, and I knew from listening to her talk about her family how important her grandparents were to her. And she said, well, granny has Alzheimer's, and so she's probably not going to talk a lot. And I thought, okay, I know... Alzheimer's. I know what it does. I know how it works. I've I, I had people that have experienced it. And so we went. We met Granny. We were sitting in her Granny and Pawpaw's uh, living room. I remember it was probably about 95 in that living room because they were always cold, and they always kept the heat on, it felt like. But we're sitting there, and you could look at Granny, and she would look at you, and I could tell she was trying to figure out who I am. She looked at Amanda. She was trying to figure out who she was, and through conversation, Amanda was like, Hey Granny, I'm Amanda Davis. I'm Jimmy and Susan's daughter. Uh, you know, this is my boyfriend Josh. You know, I'm going to school at Al- and going to school at Auburn. All these things, and you could see like, okay, she caught on. Well, eventually, over the years, like that kind of faded and went away. And Granny got to the point where she couldn't talk. Uh, she could. She'd sit there in the living room with us when we'd visit, and we could talk to her. And you could see she'd look at you, but you knew like she didn't really know who you were. She couldn't talk and respond, and then she got to the point where she couldn't walk, uh, and she was confined to a hospital bed in her bedroom. And so that's all I've known of Granny her whole life, other than what my wife and her family has told me about Granny. And I learned a lot about her, and her not just being Granny, but her serving as an ambassador for the Lord. Amanda used to tell me, and I told her she may get mad at me for telling this, but Amanda told me this story, and this is the one that sticks out to me about her granny, was how her granny would go and pick people up to go to church. She said her granny didn't miss church. She taught VBS. She taught Sunday school. She was always there uh, and loved to take people with her to church. And there was a lady in their community that Amanda said we would go pick up for church. And she's like, I never understood why we picked up this lady. And she told this story about this lady in Amanda's hometown. She said... Her house was disgusting. She said everything was just piled on top of everything. And she said, we'd go pick her up. And I was scared to walk in the house. I was scared of what she was going to be wearing when she came to the car. But she said, I knew she was Granny's friend. I knew that Granny wanted her to be at church because Granny wanted her to hear about Jesus and to know about him. And she said she'd get in the car and she would smell. And she said, I can distinctly remember sitting in the back seat of that car. She said, I can remember looking at this lady sitting up there by my granny and seeing all these little bugs just crawling around on her. And I thought, why in the world is my granny picking up this lady? She said, but I knew it's because my granny loved the Lord and she wanted this lady to experience that as well. But not only just that and granny picking up people, But I can remember them telling me about Granny would call people on the phone and tell them, listen, I don't care what you're doing, I don't care what's going on, but y'all need to sit down, you need to turn the TV on because there's this man named Billy Graham and he's about to be on the TV and you need to hear him and you need to hear what he's going to say and you need to do whatever he tells you to do. She would have people, whether it's family or friends, she'd call them and tell them about this man who's going to share the good news of the gospel because she wanted them to hear. You see, even though Granny lost her voice and so much more over the years, she didn't waste any time. When she had the ability, she served the Lord as his ambassador. She told people about the good news of the gospel. She took them to hear the good news of the gospel, and she lived it out in front of her family. I noticed that when we got home the other day, Amanda pulled out an old devotion book, I think it was from 2001, that her Granny had given to her. Uh, She had written a lot of notes in it for Amanda when she went off to college, she clipped some newspapers of Billy Graham and his message to put in there. She told her all these things, when you're having a really hard day, go and read the devotion on such and such date. It's really helped me out. You see, she lived a life for the Lord and told people about the Lord every chance that she got. So that even when she didn't have a voice, her, her life still spoke of her serving the Lord as an ambassador. And today when we started, I told you we are going to answer two questions. And those two questions are, one, who am I and what am I doing? And you see, you may be here today listening in this auditorium or you may be online listening today or at a later date, whatever is going on. But if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I beg you, just like Paul says we are to do, I beg you today, be made right with God. Don't waste another day. Don't put it off to do it some other time. And listen and hear me and hear me really well. I'm not begging you to come and be a part or a member of our church. This is a great church. Lindsey Lane Baptist Church is a great church. If it wasn't a great church, me and my family wouldn't have moved here. You see that this is a great church because it's a church that loves the Lord, that loves God's people, and it loves the place where God has put us to serve him at. But that's not what I'm begging you to do today. I'm begging you to come and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm not begging you to have an emotional experience that fades with time. I'm begging you to have a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and to surrender your life to Him. I beg you wherever you are and whatever you're doing, tell the Lord that you know you're lost. Tell Him that you know your sins have separated you from Him. Tell Him that you know you can't do any good on your own. Tell him that you're putting your faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross to be the payment for your sins. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Tell him that your life is no longer your own and you surrender everything that you have to him. Commit today to be his ambassador and to tell others what he can do for them because he's done it for you. Maybe that's you and here in a minute when we do our invitation, I'll be here at the front and Brother Randy will be here as well. I'd love to pray with you and share with you the good news of the gospel. But maybe you're here today and you could answer that question with confidence when I say, Who are you? Or you ask yourself, Who am I? You can answer it with confidence and say, You know who I am? I'm a child of God, I'm a Christian, and I'm an ambassador of the king. If that's true, and that's how you answer that question, I rejoice in that with you, but I'd ask you that second question What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? If you know that you belong to the Lord, what are you doing? And listen, if anything or if what you are doing is anything short of being an ambassador for Christ and begging others on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to Him, listen, if it's anything short of that, you and I have failed. We are missing the point. We're missing the mission, and we're not being obedient to who God called us to be. We need to right the ship and be the ambassadors that God saved us to be. Listen, you can look around just like I can and see there's so many people who are hurting. There's so many people who feel hopeless. They feel lost. And we see them searching for answers. We see them turning to anything and everything to help them out of the situation they're in, whether it's temporary or whether it's a quick fix or whatever it may be. We know it won't last. They know ultimately in their heart that it won't last but they're searching and they're so desperate for a solution to the problem that they have that they'll try anything. We have the work and the word of reconciliation. We have to share the good news of the gospel with other people. If you're a believer, let me challenge you like I'm challenging myself. Be the ambassadors that we're called to be. Listen, before you tell anybody who you are or where you're from, or what you do, or who your mom and dad are, or anything else. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about the only thing that can give them hope and peace. Tell them about what, who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. I beg you to have a sense of urgency to share the good news of the gospel with people and ask them to give their lives to the Lord. In just a minute, uh, Dwayne's going to come up and lead us in a hymn of invitation If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, as I said earlier, I'd love to talk with you. You can walk down the aisle. You can talk to me or Randy. We'd love to share the good news of the gospel with you and see your life transformed. Or maybe you're here today and you say, I know Christ, but I'm not living that out, or I don't have a sense of urgency, or I'm not begging and pleading with people to respond to the good news of the gospel. Maybe God's put somebody on your heart as we've sat here this morning, or you can think of people you work with or you go to school with, or you live next door to, and you don't know if they know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Listen, pray for them, but not just pray for them. Pray for an opportunity to share the gospel with them, and then take advantage of that opportunity. Love them the way that God has loved you and shown His grace and mercy to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this day. I thank you for the time that we've had together here this morning. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I thank you that even when we don't know exactly what to say, we can open your word and boldly proclaim the good news of the gospel and know and trust that the words that we read, Lord, bring hope and healing to anyone in any situation they're dealing with. Lord, I pray this morning if there's some who don't know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, whether in this room, whether at home watching by live stream, or God, whether they just stumble across this some other time. Lord, I pray that you would speak to their hearts and show them their sins and their need for a Savior, and they would trust you today or, Lord, whenever you see fit. And Lord, for those of us that know you, I pray that we would have a sense of urgency in our life to go and to proclaim the good news of the gospel to anyone and everyone around us. I thank you for the opportunity that I've had to share your word. I pray now that you'd be glorified in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, stand to your feet. We're going to sing.